Oh, I'm sorry. Did you want attention? Yeah, I did. Bob was ignoring me, everybody. I don't like when people ignore me. I like this this space. I like it. I like it. Brent jumps right in. That's what I wanted. (laughs) All right, folks. Happy June. Almost July 4th. And I hope everybody's going to have a wonderful July 4th, which comes up in a couple days. Today we have myself. We have... Justin Passamonte in the main desk. We have Robert Pye, fresh from a week vacation where I'm sure he jumped on the trails he shouldn't have. Oh, yeah. And then we have the great for the second time. I think uh, we haven't had many people on for two episodes, so this is kind of special. And Brent Jessian is here from Salt of the Earth Nursery. Thank you for having me back, guys. So we get him live today because he came to visit. And you brought a little friend with you today. Who's the friend, Brent? My friend is uh, my, my son Jasper, actually, his, his rescue son, dog. His son Jasper, um, what kind of dog? I, he's mostly blue healer with a Rottweiler and I think some Basset Hound or Beagle or something like that. But So everybody here is Rottweiler, but he's really, what, about 20 pounds maybe? He's just over 40, actually. Oh, 40. Yeah. Oh, and, yeah, but he's, he's very he's, low to the ground. He's meaty. <laughs> he is meaty. Uh, and I met him earlier today, so this is the second time today, and it's funny that he is laying down on my foot for the second time after just meeting him. So I'm all about this dog. This dog is awesome. Yeah, he must be comfortable. He's Yeah, he's almost licking my feet right now, I think. <laughs> so Jasper's a cool dude. So welcome, sir. Thank you very much. Uh, how, how many days were you here or are you here? I got to New York on the 19th and came to Rochester on the 21st. And I leave tomorrow on the 27th. <laughs> is it a whirlwind trip? Whirlwind, yeah, nonstop. Uh, and was our purpose of the trip today or this time? The the main overarching purpose was to get some building permits submitted, uh, which didn't go according to plan, but it was also a really productive trip for other reasons involving like legality and networking and uh, just a really knowledgeable trip, knowledge gaining trip, I should say. In this industry, you've been in the industry for years. We talked mm-hmm. about it. And it's funny that here you are talking about coming to New York and, and you're still gaining knowledge every yeah. Every, uh, every every single day. It's the same still in California, and that's where I, I thought we had it locked down. You know, it's new things change every day. Uh, so real quick, if you don't mind, what are you seeing now as you're going to establish yourself as a grower in New York? Um, just, I don't want to get too deep into this because we had a great conversation. I want to keep it a little lighter today. But in general, are you, what are you seeing differences between New York, New York and California maybe that are better or things maybe they're concerned with? Hmm. Uh, I'm seeing that it's, it's much more... I mean, it's very, very regulated in California, but it's much more uh, legitimate and officially regulated here where it's kind of like threatened regulation in California and them not being able to keep up with the regulations they said they wanted to keep, which allows for months and months of mayhem while they get caught up. Here, it's kind of the opposite. They're being more conservative with what they, they're like kind of slow dripping things into the system so they can highly regulate it as it comes in, which... I can respect that and I, I see the benefits of it because there are some downsides to the Wild West side. Um, um, but I do miss the ability to just go get things done. Um, it's just a slower process here. <laughs> no doubt. Yeah, so this are the challenges, pros and cons to both. Are you mm-hmm. excited about branching in New York? Yeah, very excited. This has kind of been the uh, the initial reason for me going to California was always with the intention of like building something and then coming back here to my home town and state 
in some big fashion to create a lot of uh, jobs with a, a company people are happy to work for and um, just honestly bring the medicine back home. So oh, I love that. It's bittersweet. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. So, so recently we'll go a little lighter, but there's a lot of cool things going on with legislation across this country. So mm-hmm. we're going to let Bob jump in first. Really? Yes. Cause, wow. cause I told him he was going to go second, but I'm going to make him go first now. Why, why is that? Because you look like you're sleeping over there. I'm not sleeping. I'm, I'm involved in the, the conversation that you guys are by listening. No, you're awesome. All right. So uh, New York State obviously <laughs> had some decriminalization that happened on the 20th, which I'll talk about a little more in depth. But first, go ahead. Decriminalization? Yeah, decaramelized. Decarboxylation? <laughs> I love it. Food and <laughs> cannabis talk. All, in, all, all right. right. Yeah. Oh, decarboxylation, good or bad? I mean, as opposed to what's the... I mean, uh, sometimes people talk about things being uh, done too much with that, which can get more of a sedative type yeah, response, right? Yeah, if you right? can like, get the temperature right, I mean, it, I think it's more, uh, if you can get things dialed in, it's an easy way to keep things more uh, precise and ensuring you're uh, converting all the THCA to THC. Oh, amen. Yeah. That's right. All right, Bob. So Illinois is an exciting story that Bob's going to tap into for us real quick because Illinois just recently became the 11th state to legalize adult use THC consumption. Well, you just told the story. Come on. That, that, that's Come on. It. What's the, the important 11th, part? That they believe that the lower income neighborhoods are going to directly pop profit from this kind of did they do that with a certain structure or anything? Did it mention in the article legislation, any specifics? Uh, within the last two minutes of reading this article, I have downloaded uh, just the facts that I just told you, and I will proceed if, if you want me to keep reading. Yeah, please. Okay. I'm not going to read out loud, is that because that would be... No, I'll talk about New York while we come back All to right. you. All right. All right. So in New York, um, we fell short of legalizing adult use cannabis. A lot of people are dis- disappointed by that. I'm probably neutral on that right now because I, I want the right legislation, not rushed legislation. But from what I heard behind the scenes, it was more political issues about where the tax revenue streams were going. And that's why it didn't pass versus them actually writing the policy. So that to me is a little annoying hmm. that, again, the political game got in the way of people's medicine and, and us being healing. So just a couple of things I want to uh, for those of you that aren't aware what the laws used to be compared to what they are now on June 20th of this year. Uh, the New York State majority passed S.6579A to further decriminalize marijuana, bringing the state one class, cl- step closer to fully regulated adult use. And when I say further decriminalize, that's because in 1977, it was decriminalized in New York State already. So in 1977, the laws became uh, possession of 25 grams or less of marijuana, is an infraction with a $100 fine. However, possession in public view remained a misdemeanor, which means if you were home and you had 10 grams of weed, you have got a $100 fine, and then it would have perpetuated how many times you got busted. Uh, but if you were on a street corner with two grams on you and you were smoking a joint, you could be arrested and put up to jail for three months. Oh my God. That was the current law before June 20th. True story. And then anything above 25 grams up to two months... Or getting caught smoking in public was up to a three-month sentence on top of a $200 fine. And it was a Class B misdemeanor. 
statistically, this is the scary part. So the legislature of New York State actually pulled these statistics up. So I'm not pulling this from any willy-nilly organization that might have some kind of um, angst towards these numbers. But according to the New York State legislature, statistical analysis showed arrests were lowered significantly after 1977, only to increase between 1997 and 2010 when New York City arrested 525,000 people for low-level public use possession. Between 1977 and 1997, there was only about a total of 55,000 arrests similar. So the first 20 years, about... 50,000, let's say 75, uh, 525, 75,000 people arrested from 77 to 2010, uh, 1997 to 2010, excuse me, 525,000 people arrested. So what do you think that's saying to you? So I'm going to tell you, 88% of those people were arrested were black or Latino. So basically it was NYPD using a little facet of the law and targeting Latinos and blacks. This is why this initially, said, initially from 1997 to 2010, that's the higher number. Correct. Mm-hmm. Okay. From 77, 97, pretty much near cops didn't care about smoking weed anywhere. That's basically what the pain is. Cause mm-hmm. nobody, there wasn't more usage after 97 on the streets. The usage was the same from 77, 97. And I, I also want to, in my, pers- from my perspective, um, having family members in law, law enforcement and whatnot, uh, it's not necessarily the police officers themselves. It's their bosses telling them what to do. And it's like, we have to crack down on cannabis use on the streets, what their motives are behind the scenes. Who knows? It's very political and through the ranks for sure. And your father was a, a deputy, deputy sheriff. sheriff correct. Yep. Uh, uh, and I respected that industry. And I totally agree. And I'm love that you said that because you're right. Uh, police officers on the street are following policy driven by the people above them. Correct. Couldn't agree more. Love it. Uh, so now the new policy in New York State, just so we know what changed on June 20th, because this is more important. Three main factors. First of all, there's a fir- full press release of this at the New York State Democratic Majority. You can click go on the website to see it. But the three main factors that were changed is, number one, up to two ounces now is a f- uh, up to one ounce, 29 ounces, uh, excuse me, 29 grams is a $50 fine. Up to two ounces is a $100 fine. Doesn't matter how many offenses. And smoking in public now will get you the $50 fine. And then if you have on your possession up to whatever amount, you'll get the fine based on the amount in your possession at that time. Though I wouldn't recommend anybody had broken up eighths on them because I'm sure they're going to get you for some kind of distribution So because they didn't mention that in this loss. But basically it means, and they're putting it so you are allowed to smoke marijuana where tobacco is allowed to be smoked. So they're also putting it in like if tobacco can't be smoked uh, uh, someplace, also marijuana can't be smoked there. So that's building it into the law as well, which is preparing for the adult use. All right, I'm, I'm not trying to be ignorant or something, You're but gonna, I'm, I'm confused by the fact, why are they producing laws that are going to penalize people who have amounts of marijuana when the long term is to legalize marijuana? Because technically they haven't legalized it yet, so they reduced the terms. And then the third facet of it is they are putting a system in place to expunge everybody's records that fell under that 525,000 arrests from 97 to 2010. And they're putting a system in place to expound them immediately. Beautiful. So that was part of the legislation. I love that piece because to me, this is the biggest piece of the cannabis. Not so much that we've been 
didn't get the medicine and we don't have the studies. To me, it was these people that have been arrested disparagingly. Right. And maybe I'm coming from a, an optimistic viewpoint, but for me, if the repercussions were a 50 to a hundred dollar fine, like that, I, that wouldn't really stop anyone from doing something anyway. So one end of the spectrum could be, they could be doing that because they could get a lot of quick cash by just busting people for little bits because it won't be a high risk. You know, everyone might be start doing, start doing that, but, um, could be a revenue income, but I mean, man, that, we've come a long way. <laughs> I feel really happy about it, honestly, just by comparison. And it's nice that the legislature itself is seeing this mm-hmm. disparity and putting the effort into making sure this stuff really gets cleared right away. Yeah. Steps taken. Steps Amen. taken. And, and, you know, uh, every state that ended up going to legalization was these decriminalization steps that went towards it. So if, if you look back at California and Colorado and all, all, some of these other 10 states that are now 11, though Illinois, I don't think, followed the model because they just started jumping right into it. I'm not sure the decriminalization in Illinois prior to this. Maybe we'll find out a little bit with Bob here. Um, but... Generally speaking, most of the other states follow this decriminalization to get to the adult use. So, so we are on the right step. How do you see California now? What's, your, what's the perception of cannabis in California now that it's a whole adult use state from someone now who's been there and sees it and, and, and how it differs from states where it's not? You know, I'd say 99% of it's, in my mind, beneficial. Uh, it's really nice to be able to look at a beautiful sunset and spark up a joint without having to worry about anything at all um except for maybe a judgy look from an out of out of towner um is that when you offer it to him (laughs) (laughs) it's enough to go around that's for sure right um there's always i mean there's always going to be the uh the abuse of anything um i think that's more of a personal issue than a substance issue and i kind of my hypothetical situation is like, what do people think is the worst thing that will, would really happen if they completely decriminalized and made like literally no limits to anything cannabis related? What, what would be the worst case scenario if every human could grow way more weed than they could possibly use? So we'd have to go back to what, 1900 when that actually happened? I mean, in my mind, that's the only way to eliminate the black market and like crime around it. It would become a non-issue. It would become, yeah, no, it would be pennies on the dollar. No, no businessmen would be, you know, business minded people would be chasing that. Right. Um, You'd be walking down Aunt Martha's garden and she'd be showing your fine roses and, and this is the this is the, the the sticky bud, honey. Now just be careful of that one, okay? It'll just be grown out of the gutters. This is on my the side of the road, line. You know? This is what helps with my uncle Arthur, my arthritis, and sleeping at night. Yeah, could, right. I think it could be beautiful. Honestly, I think that the the abuse would the extra abuse would be very short lived, and it like I said, it's it all comes down to personal problems. The 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 junkies burn themselves out. It's not if it's not weed, it's going to be something else too. You know, it's escaping reality for something that they can't face. Not that's very simply put. Yeah. I mean, when you talk about people overweight, uh, not uh, unhealthy lifestyles, it just becomes down a vicious road. It's a distraction from something you're avoiding. For sure. Yeah, either uh, looking in the mirror or um, a job or, or just working harder than you want to, whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Hiding. What do you got? So Illinois, what you got, Bob? The new law allows Illinois residents who are 21 and older to... Possess up to three grams of cannabis flower, five grams of 
concentrate and 50 milligrams of THC in the process, such as edibles. It will expunge the records of 800,000 people with criminal records as a result of purchasing and processing 30 grams or less of marijuana. It Look at all that tax money saved. Holy smokes. Yeah, that's <laughs> a lot of courts, yeah. lawyers. Yeah, and for them, now that it's legalized, look at all the tax money they'll gain. Yeah. You know, yeah, they'll get their revenue in a different yep. way. Right. So uh, legalizing adult-use cannabis brings an important and overdue change to our state, the Illinois state, and it's the right thing to do. It's the right thing to do. That's beautiful. That's, yeah, right? And they uh, they did it. The legislature said this has to happen. And and to expunge that many people, I have a feeling there wasn't really decriminalization measures before. This sounds like this is one heaping measure with everything. Yeah. Did they have a timetable for dispensaries or anything in that article? Is it too early for that? I think it's way too early for that. Because I mean, that's that's the biggest challenge. Mm-hmm. I mean, Massachusetts is now, they, I think they have two or three dispensaries popping up each week in Massachusetts. Uh, and for those of you who don't know, if you want to go to Massachusetts, you can go there as a New York resident. You're not supposed to leave there and come in back in New York with it, um, except now these new laws make it. It's only a $50 fine. <laughs> uh, but do know when you go to these dispensaries in Massachusetts, some of them specialize in certain things. I'm going to give a quick story. One of them I went to, I don't remember the name off the top of my head. I do apologize. Spe- uh, is a company that originated in Colorado, and they had about maybe 25 or 30 strains <coughs> of green of bud. Um, and then they had other products there as well, but those are products that they were getting from other companies, right? So they're, they're, you know, they test other companies' products, puts it on their shelves in that dispensary. So all the bud, they have been growing strains. There was this Novocaine, um, sativa. I can't wait to get back to Massachusetts. I'm going to Springfield Basketball Hall of Fame soon just to stop back for some Novocaine. And and, And it's a strain of, um, of cannabis folks novocaine and oh man i, I seriously sounds like four an hours no it was just td but really? it was oh, an upper. oh yeah it was like um one two good hits in the morning and four hours i was like goville hmm. like goville like i, I could have novocaine's like a painkiller so i'm thinking like, that's right? what i was thinking yeah. too trust me yeah i thought that i went so i went there to the massachusetts dispensary and they have all the all of them listed there and it's funny they have these categories um not energy, but like uh, uplifting. Mm-hmm. And then you had a category like, uh, uh, what was the other one? Oh, sorry, resting uh, and then like relieve, right? So it's for kind of sleep, pain management, and then for an upper. Basically, that's the three categories. So I said, hey, I want one of the, each of three categories, da-da-da. And they set me up. They said, these are the highest percentages. And basically, I had the guy basically working. We're working together like I'm, a doc- I'm talking to a doctor right now. Coolest thing. Cool. So walked out of there with five different strains, brought them back and sampled them with a couple people. Very nice. Yeah. So so we all got to feel the different effects and talk about how it was. So I got two of them. That, uh, one was an uplifter, two that were hybrids, and then one was more of a indica, a sleeper. And the indica, oh, I need to get that one too. That was um, I forget the strain off the top of my head, but it 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 was sleepy. <clears throat> it was good. It, and, and that is the difference between getting right things to medicate you folks and getting something from someone on the corner and not knowing what effects that might have on your body. Right, Brent? Very much true. And Brent, how many strains are you growing out in Cali now? Uh, I've, I've, I've eliminated it down to about, I think we have like 56 in our greenhouse right now. Um, 
we were over 90 at one point and it was really it was a it still is a huge headache keeping it all straight but um i think that's honestly what's setting us apart from other nurseries as well too is just because there's literally if someone has something in mind before they go shopping for what strains they want to fill their farms with we'll generally have something really close to that so it's usually comes with like some sort of like oh you got this i'll take this percentage of that then you know what i mean but uh a lot of other nurseries are trying to keep it to like between four and even ten strains just because it's it's such a logistical nightmare so would you call yourself more of like a craft type because you're not growing like 20 acres of every all 56 right originally when i was we were a little stubborn eliminating strains because we wanted to be kind of a genetic vault too Mm -hmm. um which since we've just we'll just keep like one plant just to keep the genetics healthy it's not for production but um maybe for breeding whatnot but uh we've kind of had to find a happy medium because we we just didn't have the space yet to have the minimum number like usually a farmer will have a minimum number they need per strain to fill x number of beds um and it's usually no less than like minimum 100 so usually more like 300 to a thousand of a strain that they're looking for at a time so uh, if you have 90 strains and you want to have at least a thousand available at a time, that's a, a lot of space you'll need to keep 90,000 plants, you know, so. Of course. Yeah. Uh, what do you enjoy most of that? Like uh, a, a new strain or seeing a strain thrive that maybe you didn't know would or. I think my favorite, like we're, we're I'm finally just now getting back into some, into doing some genetic hunting. Um, that's definitely where my, hobbyist passion has traveled to since the art of growing good flower and plants in general has kind of just been taken been consumed by commercialism so to speak but um it's allowing me to get a little bit more intimate and like really dive into all the cannabinoid profiles and uh having flowered most of them like really looking into how things handle different stresses and whatnot and picking the the crosses i want to do and uh I mean, right now the main focus is just yield and uh, appearance, honestly, and nose. But um, the idea is to kind of get more complex and like grow certain, like uh, develop certain strains for certain areas in the, in the state and country that will thrive and uh, be more resistant to certain molds and pests and whatnot. So now you've been home. When, when was the last time you were home prior to this? Christmas or something? No, it was, uh, it would have been, I think, April. Yeah. So, so you try to come home semi regularly, or you you and the family close? That's that's new. I was uh, up until April. It was a stretch to make it once a year, um, just because of business type thing. But um, <clears throat> without getting too much into it, because I went over it the last podcast, like no, the, the, the team is yeah. has become experts in their own right now. So it's allowed me to uh, kind of let go of the reins and you know i have faith that you know the fires the small fires will be put out without me even needing to know about it and business as usual you know and uh, it allowed me to focus on this new york project a little bit more and the uh we're we're in negotiations for some new partnerships and expansion in california that's taking a quite a bit of time and uh and money with legal teams and whatnot so never ends um, yeah everywhere you turn there's someone that seems to want to pick your pocket for something T- time time has become the most valuable i, I would take i would take a, an extra hour of day with actual energy to be productive for 
large amounts of money at this point. Uh, it's you're right. Time, time is really, funny. Is. I, said I, I wish day. I could just stop the, the days from passing and just let me work in today for like a week and a half to get where I want to be. But that's so funny because mm-hmm. even if you are delegating a lot of things, there's, there's certain things that you say, okay, this project's got to happen. And then you call someone like, well, it can only happen in this amount of time. And you're like, but I need it in this time. And then you realize that industry is that time, no matter yep. what. And you're just like, Oh, there's been multiple times where it's like, I have two hours before this needs to get done. It's like, Oh, this has two hours to get done. It's like, okay, I, I need to clone myself, not plants at this point. Yeah. Oh, and it's, uh, I mean, there, there's definitely people out there that can be hired to take things off my plate, but it's also, I would rather kind of wear myself thin than get someone really into the team that, uh, isn't the right fit at this point, just because we're so, it's still very family oriented and, uh, we have to be more protective than if we were full blown corporate and, you know, with the full, fully staffed HR department that can cycle people in and out if they're not a good fit. It's, it, it can take a, the, the detrimental effects of a, the wrong person would be catastrophic at this point because everyone has their hands in everything. It's like there's no confidentiality at the manager's table, essentially. So, no, you can't. You, yeah. you, it's, it's collaboration to get through yeah. these kind of projects. Very much so. That's right. You can't do it on your own. And yeah. you have to trust the people that are at the table with you. Mm-hmm. It's a big piece. All right. I don't want to type more. I know you have dinner to get to tonight. You had like five meetings today, including <laughs> us earlier today. So so I'm going to let you out of here soon. But how's, how's things have been? I just, since we talked about legislation a little bit, how's the conversations with you and your dad's buddies, like like law enforcement? You said law How do they have, have those conversations changed over the years? Uh, Well, not to, I won't give any names or no, anything, no, yeah, but of course. Um, it's, especially over the last 10 years since he's been retired, it's become really clear that 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 position is really tough on any human being and seeing a lot of his retired friends dealing with, you know, PTSDs and depressions and anxieties and unfortunately multiple suicides and, uh, you know, the, the ones that are still around and really high functioning and, uh, they're really pro it, honestly. Uh, and multiple, I know multiple users that <laughs> that are retired. And um, for my dad personally, I know he he never he said he would never actually arrest someone for that unless it was like in addition to something else really shitty that they were doing. Yeah, it was a supplement. <laughs> yeah, not, it, yeah not, it was, the, it was the like the an force. extra like book to throw on someone that wasn't getting enough of whatever the judicial system was going to be giving them at the time. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and that's understandable in some ways. Yeah. yeah. Um, but yeah, it's, it's funny. It, it is kind of uh, laughable though. Um, because he's, he's seen it help him through some of his struggles. Um, and then through some other family, family members, medicinal, uh, or medical issues that they, they wouldn't have been able to uh, overcome or wouldn't have been able to have the quality of life without it. Um, and you know, the more we see our current medical system fail, uh, the, the more open we become. So, amen. Yeah, that's right. Brent, thanks for stopping today. Yeah, of course. I know how busy you are. I yeah. wish I had more time. It's, oh, no, it's no. always a pla- I, I'm, I guess I like hearing myself talk. So, <laughs> <laughs> well, we're, we're here. Is there anything, any needs you have as you're coming to New York? I mean, you got the podcast you have, you have, make sure you remind people of all your social media. And mm-hmm. if there's a need that your organization is looking for, make sure now's the time to let everybody know what you would, you need. Well, uh, the update for salt of the earth is there's been uh, more recent 
some parting of partnerships, um, which kind of opened up. Um, we had a, an investor lined up uh, that we were basically committing to that was is now going with this other partner that uh, that's hopefully going to be trying to start a partner organization. Just we just had different visions for the the path of the salts of the earth, mm-hmm. um, and we have investors lined up for full funding, but I haven't signed any paperwork yet. So I, I would love to, um, I would love to, uh, you know, just put it out there, you know, to the, to the universe, if there are benevolent, wealthy individuals that really believe in, uh, this medicine and maybe have listened to the prior podcast and can hear the passion in my voice. And, uh, if they're willing to talk to myself or my family of people that are operating salt of the earth and they'd like to help. And we're looking for uh 1.3 to $2 million. Uh, and I can kind of leave it open for another month or so, or else I'm going to have to go with the people I've got, but he's going. Um, so basically folks, gotta keep it rolling. <laughs> hey, for those of you out there, you want to be in this industry. There's a man here who knows what the heck he's doing. He's established it in a state where it's all legal and folks, he knows what the heck he's doing to the point where we're, where this is a guy I'm not going to leave out of my <laughs> circle of friends because I know at some point um, there's going to be probably some kind of partnership here. So we're going to do it bigger and better in New York. Oh man, I can't a lot wait. of people to help out here. Yeah, and basically, like uh, you know, uh, it's new strains that we bring into New York. I mean, mm-hmm. this is going to be a whole new ball game here. It's going to be really exciting. Uh, so thank you, Brent, and, and your little buddy here. I love. <laughs> he's such a cool dude. I I really I feel like I turned in all my karma. For him, I really hit the jackpot. He took very little training, and he's like the perfect dog. So, no, thank you, Jasper. <laughs> Jasper is the man. He is so chill. He walked in this house, sat right at my feet, like he left me a couple hours ago when I was with him, and like, he, like nothing. Like, okay, Brian, again, <laughs> hanging out. So, thank you, Jasper. You're the man. Thank you guys uh, for your time and for uh, wanting me to join you. And uh, since we were talking about Illinois, I just wanted to give a shout out to my business partner, Austin Ostione Eschgetit. Have a good day, guys. Wow. We got first guest we had was Salt of the Earth Nursery, everybody, as you know. But our second guest, I am so excited. So this gentleman I have met very recently, like within hours. He was brought to us again by the lovely Anna DeRosa. I love this woman. So I don't know how her and, and this gentleman um, knew each other or how they connected, but I'm, we're going to find out soon. And this guy... Uh, likes biking. He's got a bike to believe on his page. Uh, Kershot IQs. I know I didn't say it perfectly, uh, but <laughs> that's who we have on the line. He's originally, I believe, from Rochester, New York, and now lives in New York City. And I hope you'll correct me. And you manage Kershot and Bikes to Believe. Is that correct? Yeah, Bike to Believe. And my name is Kershot IQs. Yep. IQs. But uh, Kershot works. Excellent. Well, welcome to the show, sir. Thank you, brother. Happy to be on. So, so tell us a little bit about uh, Bike to Believe. Let's start with that because as everybody knows ad nauseum on my podcast, I am a triathlete and I, cycling is one of my favorite things that I teach everybody about and say everybody needs to jump on a bike and have a bike, just like LeBron James. I believe he has a school where every kid gets a bike when they enter the school. Um, so Bike to Believe, I got to imagine this has got to have some kind of really good moral values to it. So what do you got going on? Yeah, so um, uh, basically what happened was uh, one day, you know, I was kind of thinking about what I wanted to do with myself because uh, uh, things were kind of slow. I didn't really have any projects going. So I'm like, you know, how can I inspire people? How can I do something? More importantly, how can I do something that is so fucking scary that it lights a fire under my ass? Right. Yeah. And um, and so 
I came up with this idea. I'm like, you know, I've wanted a bike across the country for a while. Why don't I, why don't I just take that idea and turn it into a, um, you know, a mission kind of like a cause. Right. So, um, I was coming up with names. I was actually smoking a little reefer at the time. And I was thinking to myself, yeah, bike to believe, bike to believe. All right, cool. That sounds good. But it was really scary. It was really scary for me. I just want everyone to know that I say that specifically, uh, because I want everyone to know that like, this is like, I wasn't just courageous about this. Like it, 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 I was really, really scared, uh, because the whole idea, like, all right, so just to give you the, the idea behind it, um, uh, bike to believe in yourself and others. The idea behind it, uh, is that I did it with starting with no, no money, no plan and no place to stay. So I, I essentially started with no resources. How many right? years ago so, or how long ago? This is 2014 now. Okay. And, um, uh, so I, I, uh, I, that's really that's really critical because you know I wanted to show people that even if you start with nothing that you can find the way that as long as you believe in yourself that um, uh, you know not only through your own resourcefulness but through um, other people helping you along the way that you will find the answers even if you don't know them yet right so like you, you'll find the answers along the journey and uh, the truth of the matter is that if you ever anything that you ever do that you've never done before uh, you know you, you're going to have no idea. Really, I mean, you can kind of, you can kind of, um, basically, something you've never done before, you'll never be ready for, and so you, you need to just do it. You just need to go for it, take the plunge, and you know, some of the people I know, like uh, multi-millionaire Regan Hillier, who's a, a huge coach, um, uh, she, uh, she, um, she, uh, 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 her first seminar that she did, like six people showed up and she sold nothing, and uh, but then the next seminar she did she, you know, she had a, a huge audience and she crushed it out of the park. So, you know, you know, you got to jump into things, you got to be willing to fail and uh, you got to believe in yourself and you got to believe in the process and that you're going to find the answers along the way. So have you always loved biking or why was it biking like the catalyst? Oh, very cool, man. Yeah. So, I mean, when I was younger, I loved BMXing. I loved dirt jumps. I used to go to BBB in Canada and like hit up all the, uh, the huge, huge bike park back when that wasn't like a huge thing. Uh, today it's, you know, obviously it's like its own sport. Um, but, um, uh, yeah, I mean, I just, I'm just, it's huge into extreme sports. I love snowboarding. I love biking. I like any, everything. I like anything that's fun, man. You know? Um, and, uh, you mean uh, fun, like that most people call crazy, but you and I call fun. Other people call crazy. Yeah. All the above. You know what I mean? Like, here's the way I look at it. Like, yeah, I mean, crazy, like adrenaline. I'm, adre I'm definitely an adrenaline junkie. There's no doubt about that. And, uh, you know, the reason why I did bike to believe part of the reason why I did bike to believe was because, uh, I wanted to train my mind. Um, uh, I feel like if you put yourself out there, you throw yourself out there and you, uh, you do shit that's just, you know, seems impossible. Then, um, you know, it just builds up your mental strength. Amen what uh you got to keep pinching yourself to feel like you're alive and move forward right yeah so um you know uh i don't believe that people are lazy i believe that people have impotent goals goals that do not inspire them and the people that are often you know i study a lot of uh, i study the smartest people in the world uh people you know whether they're billionaires or whatever but like you know people like elon musk and um other guys like that, Steve Jobs. And what you find is that these guys that are doing this crazy shit, they're just, they're no different than us. I mean, you know, they're not dumb, that's for sure. But like, really what they're doing is they're thinking big. They're thinking huge. Not how am I going to, how am I going to feed my family, but how am I going to feed the world? And they're, they, they do stuff that's so big and crazy 
right? Uh, that it lights a fire under their ass. So like you guys did with Bike to Believe, um, like if, if I if I pick something that was realistic, you know, people like the, you know, the, uh, a lot of, you hear a lot of people say, uh, well, you got to be realistic. You got to be realistic. When you do realistic things, they're, they're kind of boring. And when you do boring things, they don't inspire you. They don't inspire you to act. And so, uh, you know, it starts with a decision. It starts with a big, 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 big idea that's way, be, way bigger than you think is even possible. And then it, and then it, and it and then it really, really begins with a, uh, you know, it's kind of finalized or put out into the universe by, uh, by making that decision and telling the world about it. I was had a discussion with a friend of mine the other day, and he was talking about his tattoo business and how they had a little come to Jesus meeting, like to get everybody kind of the fire lit back under him. And, and he was telling the story and, and he stopped talking. And I was like, it's amazing that when people are around you and they don't have a carrot out there, how much differently they live than the people who have the carrot out there that they're really striving for every day. Yeah. And, and, you know, uh, 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 I think a good question to ask is, you know, what kind of carrot do I want to put in front of me? Right. Like um, some people, their carrot is money, uh, you know, more money, more money, more money, or, uh, you know, uh, I want a, 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 I want that house or I want that car or whatever. And I kind of shy away from those things. Uh, I don't, I, 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 uh, I think that, um, I think that I don't want to say those are surface things. I don't want, you know, they're, that's cool. That's I, 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 I love, I, I would love to own a Tesla. I'm, I'm looking at, uh, the new, uh, Roadster. It's like 1.9 seconds, zero to 60. And it's like only 200 grand. It's like faster than like million dollar cars. Mm-hmm. But, um, but at the same time, you know, that's not really, I know that that's just kind of the sugar on top. It's a fun experience, but it's not really what's truly going to make me happy. Um, it's important that we understand what, tr- what really drives us and what really drives us is growth. Um, the brain, uh, is constantly looking for stimulation. And once you've learned something, um, you know, or once you've done something, uh, like, you know, a job that's monotonous over and over and over and over again, you get really bored in the brain, boredom for the brain is like misery. Uh, it's the opposite of happiness. And, um, and so happiness, uh, the way I look at it is really mental stimulation, positive mental stimulation. And, uh, that comes in many forms, but ultimately, um, you've got to be relearning you got, or you got to be learning new things. You have to be having new experiences. You have to be taking your relationships to the next level, um, taking your business to the next level. And if you're doing all that, you'll be growing. And, uh, if you're growing, you know, let's say in your business, then you'll be making more money, right? Then you'll be able to afford that car. Then you'll be able to go on that vacation. Then, you, you know, it's like focus on the right thing and you'll get all that other stuff anyway. The brain is no different than a muscle in your leg or your arm. If you don't use it, you're wasting it and it's going to atrophy. Yeah, uh, that's great. I love that. Yeah. Uh, like I say, uh, daily, ex- daily exercise, both mentally and physically. It's excellent. Love it. Amen. So, so you're from Rochester originally, is that correct? Yeah, man. Um, what high school? So, like what town? What do you got? So I, I lived in, I, you know, interesting enough, interestingly enough, I went to, uh, East Rochester gates and then I moved down to North Carolina, uh, went to school there. I went to school in Florida, a couple schools, and then I came back to Penfield in, um, in, uh, and Rochester, and then, um, and then I moved out to Ganonda, which is about seven miles east of Penfield, and that's so I went from a school of <clears throat> six hundred people per class to about sixty people per class, <laughs> yeah. and 
and uh it was kind of like an it was called a master plan community it was kind of like uh, a, a community that was growing really fast but um then the government took some of the funding away and it just kind of died and it just kind of like flatlined and um and so i got you know i it it, it 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 was it was fun it was cool but i was really 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 bored out there and i was kind of upset that i was away from my my friends because i'd been traveling for so long but finally i was at this school for up to a couple like three or four years i was made, made a lot of friends at penfield and then when i was in gananda i kind of got like depressed and this and that but um basketball saved my life uh basketball saved my life uh i I luckily I made the team by, you know, a hair. Uh, if it was a bigger school, I never would have made the team. Mm-hmm. And, um, uh, and it's a good analogy for life. I use it all the time because the first two years I sat the bench and then the third year I was a six man and the fourth year I was a captain. And that's how I kind of look at life. Um, so, you know, uh, my marketing journey with my current business, ultimate freedom lifestyle has been the same. I, uh, I built a, a, an online course called Ultimate Freedom Lifestyle that basically shows uh, it's, a, it's a mix between personal development um, and lifestyle design. It's like, here are the mental tools you need to, to, to have that personal power. And then here's the framework. Here's, here's the blueprint for a life that's going to give you the most happiness uh, in terms of free time, mobility, and options. Um, and um, so, yeah. So, so you're basically um, a life, life coach type. Is that right? Yeah, that's right. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, right now I'm taking that to the next level. Uh, so instead of working, uh, you know, so they say that when, you, when you're self-employed, you really just you, you own your own job. And um, uh, a true business owner on the highest levels, I've got a mentor right now who's worth uh, 50 million, Dave Hal. Look him up on, uh, on Facebook, Dave Hal. He's, he's incredible, huge into real estate. And um, and so he's taught me some new things about business and essentially how to create systems in your business so you can outsource yourself. And so what I'm learning how to do now is truly create true ultimate freedom, not just be able to travel or not just be able to uh, have that freedom within. I, I believe ultimate freedom isn't just uh, traveling, being able to travel or something, but also uh, being able to speak your mind, uh, being able to act uh, against fear, being able to uh, deal with anxiety, um, uh, and, and constantly be in a, in, a, in a high emotional, like uh, a powerful emotional state where you're happy and uh, you're excited and you can make decisions, even though fear is going to hit you, um, even though you're going to hit roadblocks like your family, friends uh, not believing in what you're doing, or whatever it may be. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, so ultimately what I want to do with ultimate freedom lifestyle is I want to turn into McDonald's in the sense that I want to franchise it. So, uh, I'm in the process of, uh, blueprinting a, uh, an app where, um, uh, I create all the systems for the, for the coach to learn the philosophy of ultimate freedom lifestyle and also how to be, uh, the type of coach that is going to be successful both financially and with their clients. And, um, and then, um, and then uh, the clients can also use the app on the flip side uh, for the client side to um, to uh, be able to track their progress and use the material, uh, have instant access to like all the material that they need, not just the one-on-one coaching. Love the website. Yeah, man. Yeah. Where'd you get that logo? The logo is cool. Almost like a, what is it? Eagle or Phoenix? What's, what's the, what's the logo? What's yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. So got? it's a, it's a phoenix, right? You know, rise above, like 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 rise from the dirt, right? And in turn, this beautiful phoenix is free phoenix, right? Um, um, you know, uh, I, 
I, I think that that most people, a lot of people, you know, if not most people are struggling. Um, and um, it's kind of a symbol. It's a symbol for being able to rise above all that shit and all, and all that bullshit in your past and, uh, and, and, cre- and become this new powerful free bird. And that's what I, that's what I call, like, you know, that's what I call my clients, right? Like, or uh, myself or, or people that have, have achieved ultimate freedom, free birds. I love it. So my philosophy that I've gained probably in the last 10 years more than anything else is at the end of the day, when, when you were on our, um, uh, given our, read our last rights, it's the last moments of our life. The two things that are going to matter most, forget all the rest is the relationships you have and the experiences you've had in your life. And it sounds to me like that's pretty much what you're talking about through your program. Yeah. I, I say that all the time. Man. I say that all the time, new experiences and relationships. That's what it all boils down to all of it. I mean, even if you're driving that dope new car, what is that? That's a new experience. The only difference is, you know, do you really want to drop 200 grand on that new experience when you could just go to a uh, quarry and jump off a 40 foot, uh, uh, ledge or cliff or whatever boulder into this water and had that same emotional rush, that incredible emotional rush that costs you nothing. Right. So like, you don't need to be rich to be able to enjoy your life and be free. Um, obviously money does matter. I do think money is, uh, is critical to happiness, uh, at the, at the minimum to be able to take care of your needs. Um, uh, you know, I mean, for the basics, just food, water, shelter, be able to go out, do the things you want to do. Um, and then, you know, um, depending on, and, you know, really the way I look at money, you know, I think we should really talk about that. I, I think um, there's a lot of fear uh, and limiting beliefs around money. Um, most people would say that the only way to become rich is to win the lottery, you know, and uh, at least that's the way I, uh, I that's the, the energy I get from people. Um, and uh, when you really break down money, what I've come to find out is that when you really break down money, really what it is is a medium of exchange, right? It's really just exchanging value, right? So like at the simplest terms, like if you go and help someone else, right? And you add value to someone else's life, you go mow their lawn, right? You'll make 30 bucks, let's say. If you help 10 people and you mow 10 lawns, you'll make $300. Now, if you take that to a whole nother realm and you just, and you figure out how to design teams, build teams and build systems. And you have 10, 10, uh, uh, teams of people out there mowing 10 lawns at a time. That's like what? $3,000 a day or something like that. Mm -hmm. Right. So, so it's, it's really just how many, it's just multiplication. It's just simple math. You know, how many people can I help and how much value am I offering to each person? Right. And you can apply that to anything, services, products, Anything you can think of. Yeah. You want to, you definitely want to do something that you love. You want to help people, you know, don't chase money, um, but figure out what you're most passionate about and then try to help the most people with that thing. I love it. So how long after your, the, the ride across, all right. So, so where does the ride fit into all this? Was, was this a trigger point for you to get to this philosophy or was the ride something you were using a basis? How, how did your ride from New York city to LA fit into this piece? All right, so let me back up a little bit. Yeah. I'm in New York. I'm in New York City. Uh, I moved there when I was about 22, 23. Right now, I'm about 25 years old. My buddy and I, we get our first apartment in Manhattan, and instead of uh, turning our living room into, you know, uh, a place to sit down and watch TV, we go, why don't we set up some desks 
and 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 cover all the walls with dry erase wallpaper where we can write on the walls. And uh, what we'll do is we'll buy a bunch of books, we'll watch a bunch of TED talks, we'll you know whatever we learn over the next year, it'll, we'll just we'll just write it on the walls so that it's like boom every every time we walk in this room, it's just like it's it's a super corny name, but we you know we called it the Brain Factory, right? Just like like just knowledge everywhere. So we're gonna we're gonna grow really really fast over the next year, and that's exactly what happened. Um, I grew a ton over that year, reading all sorts of books like uh, How to Win Friends, Inf- Influence People, um, uh, 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 Think and Grow Rich, um, uh, The Intelligent Investor by Graham Bell, who um, influenced Warren Buffett, who's you know one of the wealthiest investors in the world. Um, uh, uh, another good one is uh, Psycho Cybernetics that talks about self-image and how powerful your subconscious is. Um, uh, 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 and then the other one that was really powerful for me, actually, interesting enough, even though it sounds really woo-woo, was um, uh, the power of now. And uh, you know, you know, like for example, the power of now talks about how much time we spend in the past or thinking about the future. We we rarely spend so much time in the present, and that's really where happiness is: is really being in the moment, right? Kind of like being like Jordan, you know, being in the flow, you know, game, you know, game six, you know, in uh, you know, the ninety finals, you know, he's just in a pure flow state. He's not thinking; he's just being. He's just acting, right? So. Um, uh, you know, if he was thinking about the future, about how he might miss that shot, he never would have made the shot. So, you know, and then people, the brain can't tell the difference between between uh, real and imagined experiences. It, it, so when you when you think things and you and you're you know you got this picture or the story in your mind about uh, like when you so let's say you break up with this girl right now it's a year later and you think about that experience over and over and over and over again you're literally reliving that breakup over and over and over again as if it's really happening and then it strengthens it and that's how you find people that are still talking about shit that happened to them 30 years ago and they're all fucked up in the head over it um so you got to let go of that shit and you got to move forward and um and so i was uh i i was um uh i i started i was i was working this killer bartending job um at the highest risk it was a rooftop bar. It was the highest, uh, highest grossing rooftop bar on the East Coast. It was like 19 bartenders on at one time. We had like 2,000 patrons. And you it was on top jammed every huge, night. Yeah, it jammed every night. I never walked out of there with less than $300. And, and it, I usually made around 500 And so I worked three nights a week uh, out of the seven, right? So I had four days to myself. I was making like 1500 a week. I was just living the dream. And I was dating a super hot chick who was uh, you know, still one of my good friends today. She's... um. She's like a, a high-end fashion, fashion designer. She designed a, a, a dress for Beyonce and all this stuff. And and then my other friend, we started a promotions company because we were like nightlife promoters as well in New York City, all these dope clubs and uh, like Marquee and yada, yada. And, um, and we started this company and we're doing that. And then I lost my job. You know, everything, everything turned. Everything turned just like that. Uh, I lost my job. Um, uh, you know, I, because I lost my job and I was so miserable about that, I, 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 was, I wasn't getting along with my girlfriend. She dumps me. Then um, I, uh, because I don't have my job, I, I owe my, my best friend like three months in back rent or whatever, like $4,000. And then um, uh, uh, the business with my other best friend isn't working. We're not making much money. So we're struggling with that. A lot of tension there. And then if that's not enough, uh, my one of my best friends slash mentors dies of emphysema oh, and wow. on, 
on my birthday. And, um, uh, and, and I was about to be homeless because our lease was going to end, you know, it was going to be up. And so I was broke. All this shit had happened. I was about to be homeless. And, uh, you know, they say that, uh, uh, you know, I, I always say like people change, people change for two reasons, either inspiration or desperation. And usually it's desperation. Most people are kind of floating in the middle. And, and, and so they're not very happy, but they're not that sad either. They're not that, unha- not that unhappy where they're forced to change. And I had nowhere to go and I had to change because I hit rock bottom. And so I left New York city. I went back home. Fortunately, my aunt gave me an extra spare bedroom in her, in her home. And right around that time, Steve jobs had died and an incredible biography was written by him. And I read that biography and it changed my life forever. And, um, you know, combined with uh, what I've learned within the quote unquote brain factory and then some of the tenets that Steve Jobs was was sharing, like uh, you got to follow your heart and intuition, that you shouldn't live other people's lives, uh, that, you know, um, that you're already naked, that there's no reason not to follow your heart, you know, in terms of the fact that one day you're going to die. And that you have nothing to lose and that fear and, and the fear of embarrassment and failure, that none of these things fucking matter, that you're already naked and there's no reason not to follow your heart. And so I said, what the fuck do I want? What do I want? And in my heart, I knew, you know, over the last couple of years, it was saying travel, travel, travel. And I didn't want to do that because I was in New York City and I was going to be a success and I was going to be successful. And 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 all and the most successful people come from New York, because if you can make it here, you can make it anywhere and yada, yada, yada. And and so uh, finally, I listened to my heart and intuition uh, and uh, what Steve Jobs said about um, about um if you want to be innovative, if you want to be creative in business that you need to have, and in life in general, um, you need to have a, a, a wide range of, you know, a bigger bag of experiences than everyone else does. Because if you have the same experiences everyone else does, then you'll, you'll come up with the same stuff because really what creativity and innovation is, is connecting two things together. So if you have these, um, these diverse experiences, then you can solve problems more creatively. And so, I bought a thousand dollar RX seven, a Mazda RX seven. It was an 86. Mm-hmm. And this car was a whip. It had a, had a, um, a rotary engine uh-huh. and thing was badass. And I, I drove that across the country to Vegas and, uh, I was going to go to LA. My friend talked me into going, uh, into, uh, to go into Vegas instead, because I, you know, I was a bartender and you make a lot of money in, in Vegas as a bartender. And it was super cheap to live there. Like my rent was like 400 bucks and it was like a gorgeous mm-hmm. place. So while I was there trying to find myself or figure out my bullshit, um, uh, you know, just on this journey, I, uh, I started dabbling with psychedelics and I would go up into the red rock mountains by myself and uh and i would get up to the top of the mountain where like basically you can see all of vegas and this huge desert super mm-hmm. gorgeous and i would take psychedelics i would take mushrooms i loved mushrooms and i would take that about three times a month at least and um uh that without question without question helped me deal uh helped me in insurmountable ways to understand what was going on with me um, what I truly wanted, 
what I truly wanted to become, and also how the world works, being able to see it more clearer, uh, a lot of the bullshit and the muck that uh, we get trapped in, like, you know, thinking, you know, like working a job just because it has great benefits, even though you fucking hate it, right? Or, you know, all this stuff that we're told we're supposed to do to buy into college and, and drop $100,000 on, on an education you could have got for $1.50 in late charges at the public library, you know, um, all, <laughs> you know, like all, all this, just, just this, this nonsense that we're taught. So it just kind of cleared out all that stuff. And it also showed me who I am and what I'm about. And it, and, and, and almost more importantly, it gave me the courage to start speaking um, from my soul, like sharing. So Facebook was this new thing at that time, 2012, it was really starting to ramp up people were really mm-hmm. jumping on and they were really accepting of the social media stuff. And I was just sharing everything. Like literally I, I would post three, four or five times a day and I would just be sharing whatever my thoughts were on whatever it was. And uh, usually pretty deep shit. Um, like I said, whether it's about, you know, uh, the time, you know, time wasted at college or how, you know, uh, or, um, you know, I was talking a lot about government stuff back then, uh, which I don't really talk about now, but um, I've kind of grown from that stuff. Um, but um, I was just talking about a lot of stuff and uh, I was writing, and I was writing, and I was writing. And yeah, I got, I got some, I got some interesting stuff from people. I got some, a lot of interesting feedback from people. Um, but it wasn't until I came back home that I realized how much of an impact I had on these people. Um, yeah, people were coming up to me left and right. Oh my God, I can't believe what you're sharing. I can't believe what you're sharing. And I don't say that to brag or anything because it doesn't matter. What, I'm t- what I mean is that so many people out there don't, don't, they have a voice within them. But they're so afraid to share it because they're so fucking concerned. They're so worried what other people think. I wish everybody would stop. I'm going to stop you right here because to me, that is the biggest piece. If you say something, even if it's stupid or the idea is wrong, you're sharing, you're trying to engage, you're, you're, you're helping yourself and others because it could trigger a thought in someone else's head. That's what people don't get. Yeah, man. Yeah. And, 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 and look, I use it as a tool too. I never make the mistake of thinking I know everything or that I'm always right. That's, you know, once you get there, you're screwed. And you know, you're always constantly growing and it's an onion. It just keeps up the layers, just keep unfolding and folding and folding and folding the more you learn. And, um, but you know, I used, I use Facebook as a tool because what mushrooms does is it kind of alleviates your ego and it kind of connects more parts of your brain. So you can see things clear and you're a little smarter. And, but mostly what it really truly does is it, it clears up your ego. It's kind of like when you're with that person that you shouldn't be with, but you can't see it, but your best friend can see it. Like, like it's fucking bright as day. And <laughs> you know, you know, and that's because of ego, you can't see it because it's personal, right? Because if you do that, then what's going to happen? You're going to be alone, you know, or, you know, what happens if uh, she's with someone else or what happens if you don't find anyone else, you know, all these, all these limiting or all these fears that you have uh, block you from seeing the truth. And, and uh, mushrooms um, help you alleviate that to see truth, to see, to, to alleviate your ego. And so um, once you alleviate your ego, then you can start seeing things much clearer. And and um, and you can you realize that you realize that uh, people, you know, it doesn't matter what they fucking think, you know, like mm-hmm. it does and it doesn't it, it, in the sense that like you got to do what you got to. Become who you truly are. You're like, and when I say you're unique, like I hate the oh, I'm a unique snowflake thing. Uh, I sort of, I don't know if I sort of believe in that, but it, but it, but it, it is also true that you have 
uh, a DNA that is unlike anyone else's in the world. You have a, a retina that is unlike anyone else in the world. Your voice is unlike anyone else's in the world. Uh, and I think there's something else too that um, uh, you, you're, you're, I, see your, I already said your DNA, right? It, mm-hmm. It's yeah, like three good, or four yeah. things. But it shows that we are truly unique. And so each person, every single one of 7.8 billion people or 5 billion people that there are on, on this earth are unique. And so you need to be that unique person. You need to be yourself. You don't want to fit in because if you fit in, you blend in. And if you don't stand out, you're invincible or you're, you're invisible. Right. Mm-hmm. No one can see you. No, because you're just blending in. Which and, is OK. Which is OK if you need to be a setting where you need to do that to absorb what you need to from that setting. But you don't want to be that person all the time. Right, right, right. Well, yeah, you, you don't want to be an obnoxious asshole. But what I'm saying is you want to be yourself. And what you'll find is, um, you know, speak your mind. Uh, be, obviously, be tactful and stuff, but speak your mind, speak your thoughts, uh, ask questions, uh, create the things you want to create, self-actualize. And, um, and, and what the biggest, the biggest block, the biggest block to all that is the, 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 the thoughts and opinions of other people. That's, what's going to hold you back. The biggest thing, family members, uh, friends, um, uh, 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 coworkers, uh, you know, just rant, just random people out there. You're, you're worried about what they're thinking. If you post this or you post that, or you share this, or you share that, or you create this, create that. Right. And, and here's what, here's, <clears throat> let me share something with you. That's going to make your life so, so much better. Listen, everybody. If you just, if you just be yourself, you're going to go through a filtration process, but what's going to happen is you're going to attract the people that fit with who you are and you're going to repel the people that do not that do not fit with who you are and that's great that's great you want to repel those people you want to get those people i'm not saying you need to be rude or hate them or anything but you know you just you want to repel people like you want to you want you want to create a tribe of people uh whether even if it's your family members uh your friends uh your coworkers, your, your business people like your clients stuff like that you uh, life is so short. You want to have every interaction be meaningful and fun and enjoyable. And the only way to do that is if you're vibing, you know, if you're vibing with the right people. And so you want to repel the people that don't get it or aren't ready or, you know, just aren't for you or, you know, you just don't vibe and you want to attract the people that are. And, and that's, a, that's a process that takes, you know, some time, maybe um, sure. Um, for me, it's been a couple of years, two, three years, whatever, of kind of doing that slowly. Um, but then you get to a place where everyone in your life is dope and, and, you know, everything's easy peasy. And obviously you're going to be going through challenges and this and that new people are coming in and whatever. But at the end of the day, your life is so much better because now you're, you get to be who you truly are and you don't have to compromise and, and the people that are in your life love you for who you are, not who they want you to be, but who you truly are. And then you don't have to play this game of being two different people in different settings. And that becomes such a headache. So there's so, there's so many things you said today already. A couple of the, the little triggers that I've heard, impotent goals. I love the way you put that earlier. Like goal, say, say that again? when you said the word impotent goals, you know, they send goals. What he meant by that was your goals are not enough to push you. Like you're, you're impotent. They're not enough. That's one oh, of the things I love. Right, yeah. yeah. Impotent goals. And, and I love the fact that you're constantly getting back to the same stuff. 
your relationships and your experiences are part of that DNA. Part of your retina is different than everybody else. So, so like Steve Jobs said in that in, in the book uh, that was relayed through the book, uh, you need to have experiences other people don't have to be more that unique individual. That's the way I drive every day. So, so real quick, I'm going to ask you: You don't watch much TV either, right? Because people think, like I was describing to some of my uh, friends the other day, like what my lifestyle was in my 20s and 30s raising kids. I never watched TV. I didn't have time. I was listening. To, I was watching History Channel. I was listening to listening to books on tape in my car. I never listened to music in the car. I had a book on tape every time I was in the car. Uh, and I, I imagine yeah. that year that you had. I wish I had thought about the wallpaper with the whiteboard wallpaper. <laughs> I'm actually thinking about now doing a wall in my office like that. Yeah, man, it's great. It's awesome. Um, yeah, yeah. Um, Oh, and and by the way, we did start this conversation with a bike ride that you still haven't even got to yet because I, I mean, <laughs> New York City to California, uh, uh, and I've driven from Rochester, New York to Twenty Nine Palms, California. I've always I've also driven super from cool, Rochester cool. to Yellowstone, and I've driven from Rochester f- driven Rochester to Sacramento. So I made three cross country cool. trips, um, and I love to cycle, and I actually want to cycle across the country at some point. So so. I got to hear some specifics about this ride real quick. Like, like I know you're awesome. I could talk philosophy and all this with you, but (laughs) I need to hear about the function of this ride. Like I'm a function guy too. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, just, yeah. So, you know, just to clear that up. Yeah. I do not, I do not watch much. I do not watch TV. Um, (laughs) especially not the news. I mean, don't get me wrong. I'm not a total asshole about it. You know, I'll watch a show or I I like watching movies from time to time, but I don't Mm -hmm. spend much time doing it. Um, and I certainly never, ever watch the news don't don't do that um uh it's just just you know cloud your brain with all this bullshit um that's not i agree thank Uh, you for saying it i'm usually the one saying that so i'm glad it's someone else yeah yeah uh like i don't give a fuck what what you know what drama trump's talking about today or creating today you know whether you like him or don't or or you know i i i'm 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 not political or anything like that i don't care but um you know it's just it's just you don't want to get in all that stuff anyways um, so yeah. So, uh, when I was in Vegas, uh, I go, I was thinking about, I, I, I told everyone on Facebook, I was like, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to ride from, uh, what did I say? From Vegas to San Diego or, or I forgot where I was going to go, whatever. But for whatever reason, it didn't happen. I ended up, um, uh, moving back, uh, back to New York city, then moving to Miami. Um, and then, uh, I, uh, I got a story for you there too. Actually, I actually uh, lived with a billionaire. I met a billionaire there, and I and I ended up quitting my job on the spot and uh, traveling with him for the entire summer, and that was pretty fucking cool. Wow. Uh, we Were you that. like his assistant we, or something? No, no, no. He he just got uh, divorced with his wife, and he needed like a strong wingman. And we just we just hit it off. We just hit it off, mm-hmm. and we were just having a blast. And uh, we took these two girls out, and a bunch of things happened. It was pretty pretty crazy story. Um, and, and we ended up getting robbed on the beach while we were like drunk, like laying on the beach, passed out. And we ended up, his phone got taken, my wallet got taken, my wallet had like 300 bucks in it or something. And, and like, and, uh, it just built up a good friendship really fast. And then he's like, all right, listen, I don't have my phone on me. Meet me outside of this hotel tomorrow at 11 AM. Let's go to Puerto Rico. I'll pay you $5,000 a month. You know, you quit your job, whatever, like we'll, we'll take care of it. Cause I was like, you know, I got bills and shit. Right. And so, yeah, like, yeah, life to life. um, yeah. And so, um, he's like, don't worry about the cash. We're good. Let's go. And so I was like, this is fucking crazy, whatever. But I, I just trusted in the universe. I was there at 11 15 and actually 10 55. And, uh, and then he didn't, he, 
I stayed there until like 11, 14 or 15. And, and I was like, all right, he's not coming out. And then so I, I literally just about to walk away and he walks out the door and he's like, let's go. So we, we went up to his fucking penthouse. He, we ordered tickets to uh, uh, Puerto Rico. He had a mansion in Puerto Rico. We went to Puerto Rico, stayed there for a couple of days. And then we took off on, uh, we went basically island hopping, St. Thomas and a bunch of other places. And uh, and then we stayed at San Juan Resort, ended up fucking running into Ziggy Marley. He's fucking got his whole band there, like playing, jamming out the piano in the, in the lobby. And, you know, just had a wild adventure. And, um, and then uh, uh, I came back to uh, Miami, uh, moved back to Rochester for a short while. And then that's when I was like, all right, what the fuck else am I going to do with my life? And, and I was like, all right. And I was sitting on the couch smoking a little, a little ganja and, uh, and I came up with bike to believe. And, um, and so, so uh, I actually did bike. I did the first year, 2013, I did bike to believe. I, I, I rode from New York city to Miami on a fucking single speed. And what? Then, and a fixie? Um, uh, not a fixie, but a single speed. It Holy had smokes. a back break. It had, had a back break, though. <laughs> like, like a, like a, like you know, like a coaster break or whatever uh-huh. you call it. Like you oh, know. Um, but it was a road bike. It was a road bike. It was a proper road bike. It was a proper. It was old road bike. Yeah, of course. But um, but it was a single speed. Luckily, the East Coast is flat as hell. <laughs> yeah, like, I mean, so what, what speed? What speed would you say that speed? You know, what like what chain? Like, could you compare? Was it like five speed or you know, was it like? Uh, I'm just curious, like it, the gear ratio. It, it was a single speed. <laughs> I'm just wondering, like, how much it propelled you? Like, like, was it like a oh, mountain bike, or you know, what I mean, did you coast? Were you getting coast out of it at least? Well, I mean, I had a pretty high gear. It was like the, it was like the highest gear you could have. Okay, you know all right, that's saying? what I was curious about. So the so the work yeah, rate was okay. Yeah, it was basically like your third gear. Like you know, it was your highest. It was like jammed. It was like in your highest gear. No, um, you're good. And uh, and then um, wow. um, and then uh, uh. I had I had friends in Philly, Baltimore, DC, and then from DC into Virginia, it was like blank. It was like a blank slate until mm-hmm. until uh, like you know I had to like I had to basically find people along the way. Again, I did it with no money, no plan, no place to stay. So I uh, I had to find people along the way to stay with and and stuff like that. And I got some cool conver- you know cool cool interactions with that stuff. Um, and then um, uh, and then you know I made it to. And I went to out to Atlanta. I kind of veered, went up to Atlanta, um, where my sister was, hung out there for a little while, and then I went to, and I and I took off to Florida, uh, to Miami. Um, but um, but that journey, you know, I I blogged I blogged a lot as a blog post and this and that. Um, I, I was doing a lot. Basically, I was like, I found that I was just doing too much. That it was just too much all at once. Um, I, it was hard to manage. So the next year, um. I, uh, I decided to do, I decided to do New York city to LA and I, but this time I was going to do it right. And I was going to hire a team. So I hired a web designer, actually two, two of the three people, um, I was able to get just on pure, like, Oh, this is amazing. Like, let, I want to be a part of this. Uh, my, one of my best friends, Tyler Metcalf, uh, he was my partner, like my right hand man. Whenever I needed anything and I couldn't get to it, or you know, whatever, I was on the bike. He was handling it, and then I, um, and then I had uh, a web designer, um, and then uh, who handled who handled the bike to believe website, and then I had uh, PR, um, uh, Erica, and um, uh, so, so I, so the PR was great. It got me into radio shows. It got me on TV, all this stuff. Um, 
But still, I kind of marketed it incorrectly because at this time we were kind of shifting from old media to new media, like podcasts and blog posts and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And so I was still kind of focused on old media. Had I focused on new media, probably would have took off and been more national. But regardless of all that, um, I I went over – I went from New York City – to Philly, then from again Philly to Baltimore, to Baltimore to DC, and then from DC I went. Um, you know, I took a train all the way. To, the train in DC ends in Arlington, which is next to right next to uh, the Pentagon, mm-hmm. and then and then it's off to the races. You know, west. And instead of going over like the like uh, the Rockies towards that direction, I went towards Texas, and then uh, through New Mexico up to Vegas, and then LA, and. Um, and, uh, you know, that ride over Shenandoah National Park, uh-huh. uh, I don't know if you're familiar with that area. Heck right? yeah, the, um, I've driven it. Yeah, Bob and I both spent lots of time there. <laughs> yeah, incredible, right? Um, and uh, that's what, what? That's Virginia, right? West Virginia? Is that yeah, West well, Virginia? it's Virginia down into North Carolina. Yeah, kind of, yeah, that, that string. Yeah, yeah. Right, the Appalachian Trail. And mm-hmm. um, and so then on, on the once you get to the top, I mean, literally, I had 60 pounds in the back of me. On my on my bag, so unsprung weight or whatever you want to call it. And uh-huh. uh, when you were flat, it wasn't a big deal. But w- but going up that mountain, Jesus Christ! Like like yeah, you that, don't think I mean, about it, that. It, it, it turns into two hundred pounds, you know. And uh, and so that was probably the hardest bike ride. That four miles up that hill to Skyline Road uh, to the top of the mountain is, is the hardest hardest four miles I've ever done in my life. And um, so I got up there finally, and then there's like a uh, there's like a I, so a lot of people are are walking the Appalachian Trail, like they're traveling from Georgia to Maine, yep. and there's so yips. yeah yeah so I'm meeting all these people and all I saw one of the best best um, sunsets I've ever seen in my life up there, and then there's all these cool people, open minded, awesome adventurers that are up there, and so I camped out with them outside, and that was super fun. And then, um, and then I took off towards, uh, like Tennessee and had a bunch of stops there. I had a camp out on the, at the side of like a, a bar once because I, I wasn't able to create enough relationships that night to like get someone to let me stay with them, which mo- more, more often than not happened. Like literally I would go into a bar and I would just start talking to people. And I had a shirt on that said New York city to LA, no money, no plan, no place to stay. And people sometimes just throw me 20 bucks or like, or be like, Hey man, stay with me or whatever. Everyone was super cool. It was amazing. Right. Believe, bike to believe in yourself and others. Right. And so, um, uh, uh, I, it didn't work out that night. And, uh, I ended up having to like, um, to, to, to sleep outside of like the bar or something in like the back, like near like the woods or something. I forget it was whatever. Mm-hmm. But, um, but, but then, um, you know, skip a couple towns. I went to Tennessee. I went to, uh, I went through, uh, what was that one? Uh, what's, uh, Arkansas. Uh, I stayed mm-hmm. with a nice woman there. Uh, and then, um, when I got to Dallas, I was getting flats constantly because I had all this weight in the back, but I had these super thin tires and being an idiot, I didn't think to like, just, you know, buy a thicker tire. And mm-hmm. so finally I got smart, bought a thicker tire. And, uh, meanwhile, this dude comes in and he's got a flat and, and he tells me, you know, he starts telling me a story. He rode his bike from like Georgia to Maine or something crazy like that. So he's like, dude, come with us, man. We're like going to ride around uh, Dallas, go to these parks, this and that. So we did that for a little while. Then we went to his buddy's house. He had a nice joint. And then, 
uh, they're like, listen, we're going to Austin, Texas. You know, we're going to Austin and like, uh, you know, uh, tomorrow morning. So if you want to ride, awesome. And I'm like, I'm going to Austin. So yeah, I'll take a ride. I'll catch a ride with you guys. So I jump in the car with them. We go to Austin. Next thing you know, one of the friends, he's got a mansion, like a massive, I'm talking like castle type of mansion and huge backyard. And then in the back, it's a lake. And we went boating and it was girls and we're drinking and it was just the best time ever. And, uh, and so like, you know, I won't tell every story. Right. But, but basically it was a wild adventure, a wild, wild adventure. Oh, man, there's so much I want to go. First of all, what was your average ride per day? Average miles per day? I know I know some days were lighter and heavier depending on what was going on, but average, what was an average miles per day? Uh, 60 to 100. So, so um, uh, I had a, I had a really good bike. I had a great, I had a, um, uh, what's that? What's the cross cross? Uh, I can't remember the, the title of these types of bikes. A hybrid? It's like the like bike. a hybrid? Oh, yeah, a, a cyclocross, cyclocross bike. Yes, yes, exactly. Mm-hmm. Yeah, as a hybrid, cyclocross, you know, you yeah. can turn. It's a it's a road bike, but you can turn into uh, basically almost like a mountain bike. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And uh, you just kind of like it's got the super wide uh, uh, forks, and so you can throw like huge tires on there and stuff. But um, but uh, uh, I love that bike, man. When I was in Arizona, man. You know, I got to, I, I finally, I got to, I got to Phoenix and I stopped the side of the road. I just looked at that bike and I swear to God, I was like, I love you. Like, like it was like my <laughs> girlfriend, like it was like my fucking girlfriend. I'm like, I cannot believe you've made it this far with me. Like you've like a couple flats here and there, but I mean, she just worked like a dream and she just, by the way, what's her name? The country. What's the bike's name? <laughs> I never named her, which is crazy because up, up until that point, I didn't, it wasn't like that. You know what I'm saying? Uh huh. That was the um, moment. But uh, I did name when I was younger. I named my bike James, but uh, I, uh, I I I did not name her, which is interesting. That's actually I never thought about that. Mm-hmm. Um, well, you so, referenced her uh, as a girl, so that's why I figured you had an intimate name for her. <laughs> <laughs> right, 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 right. Um, yeah. So, uh, um, so average uh, miles was sixty to hundred, and then. Uh, but so you got to understand. So I'm also I'm also so it would have been great to bike longer. But the, the thing is, is that um, this, I, I'm, I'm blogging, right? So I'm also blogging and, and, mm-hmm. and doing videos. So I'm also work, I also stop, I need to stop and like do a bunch of social media shit. And then also, uh, I also need to build relationships so mm-hmm. that I can find places to stay. Yep. So um, and, you know, and, and, and get enough sleep where I'm not, you know, I'll be all right for the next day. So uh, I usually pulled off between 60 and 100. And honestly... I would just get bored really often. And I, instead of just biking through shit, I would stop and talk to the cows or talk and, and, or, or uh, get off my bike and just wander off somewhere or something like that. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, uh, so I was, I didn't want it to just be pure biking. I wanted it to be a journey and there was no set plan. I wasn't trying to like, you know, become a superhero or like make some, or, you know, uh, uh, break some record. I was literally just, you know, whatever, whatever happens, happens, however long it takes, it takes, it doesn't matter. Um, I'll, you know, I just, I'm here for the journey. So, um, I think one other story I'll share about the journey that was really, really cool was, uh, um, I, uh, I, uh, I, I, so I got to Texas after Austin, I got, I went to Texas or I was headed towards Texas 
I'm sorry, not Texas. I was headed towards, uh, what is that? New Mexico, probably. Mm-hmm. Uh, but basically, there's this huge patch in Texas to, through New Mexico into Arizona that's all fucking desert. Oh, and I yeah. didn't really take, I didn't take that into account. And I was like, yeah, I'll just bike through it. No big deal. But there's nothing for like 300 miles. And so, um, like I literally lived, it was like one gas station in 150 miles, something like that, something crazy like that. And, and I just made, I just made the drive of my dad just to clarify this for people, New Mexico, Santa Fe is like the one big city. But if you're on the main, uh, interstate traveling by, you almost don't see Santa Fe. It's pretty much one end of New Mexico to the other desert and plateaus and lava. <laughs> yeah, man, exactly. There's like nothing out there. Right. So I get to this truck stop and, um, I spend the night and then the next day I'm in the truck stop talking to some people and they're like, you're biking across the country. That's crazy. Like, well, just let you know, like, like, you know, they ask me, well, where are you headed? And I'm to tell them, you know, yeah, I'm going through New Mexico, yada, yada. They're like, you can't do that. I'm like, what do you mean? Like, they're like, you know, it's all desert, you know? So I'm like, fuck, like, what do I do? Um, you know? And so I'm like, maybe I can catch a ride with a trucker. So I, uh, I started talking to all these truckers, left and right, trucker, 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 trucker. I actually did catch a ride with uh, a trucker in uh, a bunch of states back uh, one time. But literally, I had to ask like 20 truckers to get that one, that one to say yes. And, um, and the reason for that is because the companies uh, don't allow it, right? Mm-hmm. So like yeah. the, it's not so much that the truckers want to, but they just – they can't because of liability and all that dumb bullshit. So mm-hmm. – um, and so uh, um, – a dude with a uh, with a uh, in a uh, a U-Haul comes through, and he's got a big tattoo on his face right over his left eye that says M, just an, a big M, and uh, and he's got a tongue that's kind of split in two, like kind of like a like Sick. a lizard tongue. Uh-huh. Yeah, exactly. Um, and so uh, um, and so someone says to me, you know, I think that guy's heading, heading West. Uh, you should ask him. So I go over, I'm like, Hey man, what's up? You know, listen, I'm biking across the country. Can you know, get you, I don't know where you're headed. Are you, you, know, are you heading West? I'm headed to LA. He goes, uh, um, he goes, funny enough. So am I. So I was like, awesome, man. And he's like, you know, can you give me a ride and come to find out he's a biker too. And he has a bike in the back. He's got a fixie. Mm, so perfect. So we jump in the we jump in the car and we take off and and we stopped at a couple hotels along the way, and but basically he redrove me all the way to whatever it was I, I think Phoenix, mm-hmm. and uh, and then I was like listen you know I gotta continue the journey I can't go to L A with you like I gotta I gotta continue this journey, and um and um and so we split uh but then um then I rode my bike from Phoenix to air uh to tucson and i did that at night i had to do a night ride because it was through the desert for like a, you know 10 hours or something like that and ended up to, i think it ended up going into the next day um and so i did it basically on no sleep and but i'll tell you man when you're out there that is one of the most incredible rides like it's it's pure desert so there's no lights there's no artificial light so you can see the whole universe and not only can you see the whole the milky way and all that stuff but Literally, I would just stop riding for a minute and just look up and watch shooting star after shooting star. Boom, 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 boom. You have no idea how much shit is com- is like coming in, like hitting earth, like just constantly coming in. Boom, 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 boom. Just like I literally I never see like maybe I've seen a couple shooting stars in my life. I saw 10 shooting stars in like 10 minutes, you know, mm-hmm. um, super cool, super cool. So, yeah. 
So I uh, I drove my daughter to Twenty Nine Palms Military Base last year, and I flew back Wait, from twenty nine to Twenty Nine Palms Military Base. So I drove exactly what you're talking about now, right now, pretty much. Oh, uh, cool, cool. So Super south cool. Of, from so so we went down. So we went all the way across the country from here in Rochester. But the last piece was we stopped in Vegas, and then we took the old Route sixty six all the way down to uh, Twenty Nine Palms Joshua Tree, and then eventually Palm Springs. Uh, and flying back from Palm Springs back to Phoenix, that looks like the moon. Like, like it's hard to believe that's the Earth. Like, you can see how erosion changes every day from that. You know, from the plane looking down, and then there was big swaths of um, solar panels. You know, they have big solar panel farms yep, out there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, yep. But truly, to bike through there, like, man. Whew, that's rough. So, did you actually do the mountain range from Vegas to to L.A.? Did you go over the range? Like, how'd you like? Did you have to climb no, again? No, no. There was just there was just certain places that you know it was just going to be way too difficult. My biggest issue was like I had no problem. I, I, I'm you know I don't I don't want to say oh I'm such a badass or anything like that, but I I'm, I don't have too much fear on that stuff. But you know I, I'm, I'm I was actually just having this conversation. It's really critical that you take calculated risks. Um and you know like uh uh. I think that, you know, I was thinking like, you know, the desert is not some, some uh, place you want to fuck with. Um, you can, you know, if it was just like, if it was just like, you know, uh, I got tired and I need to like pull over or something or whatever, it's, it's, it's fine, you know, but you can't survive out there. Literally, I was drinking five gallons like a day when you'd only normally drink like, I'd say more like three or four gallons a day when normally you, you only drink maybe a gallon, gallon and a half a day. Um, I, I was drinking three to four gallons a day because that's how much water just sucks out of you. Not only are you sweating, but you're also, you know, you don't see that, that water, that the water's just dissipating. It's just, you know, it's just evaporating. Um, mm -hmm. and so it just sucks it right out of you. And so, you know, biking for a hundred miles or whatever through unknown territory where there's no gas station, no, no shelter, no, none of that stuff. I was like, you know what? I'll just take a bus. So from from two, I think what is it, Tucson or Phoenix? No, Tucson, right? Mm -hmm. I, no, okay. Phoenix. Okay, I think I went from, from two, I think I went from Tucson, Tucson to Phoenix. To, yeah, we Tucson, think so too. Yeah, Tucson to Phoenix, and yeah. and then uh, and then from Phoenix, I took a bus to Vegas, and then I have a ton of friends there because I used to live there, and we party. We went to we went to uh, like the best concerts and the best house parties or uh, uh, house concerts, and and just uh, you know raves and all sorts of shit, and it was just the best time ever. It was the best. Uh, I got a lot of like, a lot of my friends are big DJs out there. We had a great time. And so, um, I spent a month out there. I, I didn't I did not want to leave. So I just, I, I ended up spending a month out there, which actually a bunch of followers were really pissed off about. Um, you know, that, you know, <laughs> we can actually talk, we can, we, we can actually talk about that a little bit. So I, uh, I took mushrooms when I was out there as I love to do. Mm -hmm. And I also, took uh, some MDMA at a party or whatever when we went to a concert uh, with some mushrooms. And, um, you know, I, I shared that with everyone that was following. And, um, and, and so I had a lot of people come out and be like, I got kids, I got kids following this. Like, you know, I, uh, you know, you're like, you know, you're doing this big inspirational journey, but now you're talking about drugs. Um, and, and there was two things happened inside, like two things happened. So I was like, a part of me was like, fuck, like, you know, I really let these people down. And then another part was, 
like, oh, I can't be myself. Like I rode my bicycle across the country trying to inspire people. And yet I can't truly be myself. I can't truly tell the truth of what, what this stuff does and how this helps people and how therapeutic, incredible it is for people. Um, and, uh, but meanwhile, I can get hammered. I can get hammered and, you know, and that's okay. Um, but I can't take a drug that's going to make me happier for the next six months. Um, and, uh, and so I got, I became resentful, uh, after that journey, I became really resentful of a lot of people. And I'm, and, and I, and I didn't realize that for a year or two that I had that in the back of my head, I was kind of like fighting people. I was like, it, I just, I don't know. I had, it, it, it hurt my message, you know, it hurt, it hurt my, uh, my power or whatever you want to call it. So it and, sounds and like, what, to, so just to cut you off for a second, it almost sounds like you're please, just uh, please. dealing with people that are judging you. And it sounds like almost um, just the educational piece was missing for people to look at things a little more openly. And actually, you were giving a venue for parents to talk to kids about different things in their life. And instead, they're beating you up for it. Yeah, I mean, look, I mean, uh, even though there's tons of literature out there, you know, that prove that psychedelics is therapeutic and uh, that you know, the real reason why the government made it illegal is for like social control and because they didn't want, you know, they were having issues managing uh, the hippie movement and yada, yada with, uh, you know, with going against the war and yada, yada. But, you know, in the fifties time magazine, this is public, a publication that was, you know, global uh, national um, was saying that they were getting a remarkable results with psychedelics and all this stuff. And, I never really saw MDMA, uh, what other people might call Molly, as uh, as like uh, a tool for introspection or for health or like make you happy, but it actually works incredible for people in a therapeutic environment. So um, that too, that's not just a fun drug, um, but I think still psychedelics is way above that uh, and put and still a much much more therapeutic drug in my opinion. But um, regardless, I. Uh, I, uh, what I found after, you know, learning a lot more about, about how people think and marketing and yada, yada, I, I realized that, uh, it was only a lot, it was only a few people. In fact, it was a lot of, uh, some people actually, <laughs> one dude donated more money after he heard that I was doing psychedelics. He's like, here, here's, here's, uh, here's $10 for an acid tap. You know, uh, you know, so (laughs) talk about all ends of the spectrum and you get to see it through your feedback, through your social media. Yeah, right. And, 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 and Tim Ferriss has this thing called, you know, that's why I first learned it from Tim Ferriss, uh, the loud minority. And even though most people, it really was only like 10 people. I had 15,000 people following me and it was only like 10 people that, that made a, made a scuff about it. Like I had a problem with it. And, um, and uh, I'm happy to hear that, know, by the way. I'm really happy to believe I was expecting there to be more numbers of that. So I'm actually happy to hear well, that. Well, there's also, you also have to factor in that most people don't have the balls to speak up, right? So I did hear from other people, like my, my, my older cousin, he, or uh, you know, my second cousin, he's much older, uh, like 45, 50 at the time. He's like, you know, when we got together and had a big barbecue, he said to me, he's like, you know, you know, I mean, he, he's a fun dude, one of the funnest dudes, you know, you ever meet. But at the same time, he's like, that's the guy who said, hey, you know, just to let you know, my kids were watching, you know. Uh, but, um, you know, yeah. clearly he didn't, He again, not, education, not educated enough. You know, it's funny. It's so funny to me. Like, you'll smoke weed, right? You're at a party, there's some kids running around, right? And everyone's getting hammered. Right. They're pounding alcohol. Probably the worst. I mean, literally not, not, not probably the worst drug on the planet. 
Uh, it kills more people, ruins more relationships, breaks up more more uh, uh, marriages than than any other drug, and all of them combined. However. Um, here we are, you know, get, you know, here they are all getting pounded, you know, uh, getting, uh, getting slashed around their kids, uh, doing, doing, uh, um, doing, uh, shotguns, all sorts of stuff. And yet if I smoke a little herb that, you know, makes you chill out, makes you forget about your worries or makes you think a little deeper, uh, then, um, then, you know, I'm doing this horrible thing. And what's interesting is I've dove into that a little bit more. I said, what do you mean? Like, and I've, I've said just what I just said to, to, to them and they mm-hmm. say, well, well, the thing is, is that if he goes and tells the teachers at school, they could report us and we could go to jail. That's a scapegoat. So, so maybe you're right. Maybe you're right. But, but that's how people feel. I truly believe that. I think people are afraid of the government. They fear that the government will come and take away their children. I think there's and a level to that. I agree. That but at the same sometimes. time, those parents could easily not drink, go lock themselves in a room, spray themselves and come out and do it in a private setting. So that's why I say that's a scapegoat. Well, that's but, what they're saying. No, that's what they're saying, though. No, no, no. Yeah, These yeah, are I people know. that smoke. These are people that smoke. So oh, I got you. I got you. Make that clear. No, that's good. No, because I have some friends, right? And I just want to build on this point just for a second that I have a lot of people that have that same theory where alcohol is okay and the rest of it's not. Uh, and I have these conversations with them now. I'm not holding back anymore because it is obvious. Like I want to open a bar in Rochester and my first night open will be uh, only psychedelic side, only alcohol side to show the alcohol side, how idiots they are at the end of the night versus the psychedelic side. Right. Like, come on. <laughs> That's genius. I have a picture when I was in Vegas, uh, two different pictures of me hammered and me on psychedelics and me hammered. It was like towards the end of the night. You can just tell I'm like super depressed and like hunched over. And then on psychedelics, all like bright eyed, super smile the whole night. You know what I mean? It's just like it's so obvious. And on top of it, you can take you can take mushrooms. Literally, I've done this many times. I, I go out to the mountains, do my mushroom trip or whatever, and literally uh, go into work four or five hours later and then go serve tables. Like at the time I was a server bartender. So yeah, I mm-hmm. go take care of customers right after. I mean, that's, yeah, try to do that, get hammered, you know, and then try to do that at, try to go serve tables afterwards, you know? Amen. Everybody would know you were drunk the whole time you're there. The whole time. Yeah. All right. So we are at our end time because you're a busy boy and we have had a long summer episode here. So before we close out, I want to thank you because your message truly like is a, is a branch of me. Like I'm very excited to talk to you about your energy. I can't wait to have you on again because I want to talk about more of the life coaching piece of it and what kind of advice you give to people. But before I let you go, I need you to list every social media site, all your Facebook, your Instagram, and a quick message for people to, for inspiration. Yeah, yeah. So uh, if you guys like, you can, um, I write a ton on Facebook. I have a pro not on my page. I don't really use that to be honest anymore. Uh, on my Facebook uh, profile, I write a ton um, and share a lot of stuff. Um, uh, you can check me out again. My name's Kate. My name's Kurt Schott. Like you're taking a shot at the bar. K-U-R Schott. Uh, K-U-R Schott. And if you just look me up, if you just look up that name, You'll find me. Uh, I come up to the top of the list every time for whatever reason. And uh, and so uh, and then I have Instagram, which I've been doing a lot more of lately. And I post a lot of great pictures and and, and, and some stuff that uh, can help you guys a lot uh, in terms of, uh, you know, just just the different things that I share that I think maybe could open up your mind. And again, uh, my name on there is Kershot, K-U-R. 
S H O T Kershot. Um, in terms of, uh, you know, a lasting message. Stop wait a minute, wait a minute, wait a minute. Don't you have a, a website for your life coaching as well? Uh, yeah, you can go to Kershot.com. Again, everything's mm-hmm. Kershot. And anything you think of, it's all Kershot. K-U-R-S-H-O-T. Okay. And the inspirational yep. message. Yeah. Uh, you know, stop giving a fuck. Like, you have one life. And I, I want you to think about that deeply. You have one life. And that's it. And, you know, how they say, like, when you're on your deathbed, all this bullshit, you know, forget about all that. Like, look, just... Just focus on the fact that you have one life and that every moment counts and that you need to stop caring about what people think. That's it. You got one life. You got to get out there and do more shit. You got to start taking risks and chances because you're already naked. I'm going to read you off a quote. All right. Give me two seconds. I want to read you off a Steve Jobs quote, and it's going to be one of the best quotes you ever hear in your life. I think I know which one you're going to read. I can't wait. All right. It's right here. Okay. All right. Almost everything, all external expectations, all pride, all fear of embarrassment or failure. These things just fall away in the face of death, leaving only what is truly important. Remembering that you are going to die is the best way I know to avoid the trap of thinking that you have something to lose. You are already naked. There is no reason not to follow your heart. And I want you guys to remember that. That's it. That's all I got for you today. Happy 4th of July, everybody. Kershaw, this was really, truly a pleasure, and I can't wait till you're on again. I can't wait to be on again. I wish you all the best, and, and we will definitely help each other propel our messages. Much love, brother. Great chat with you. Thank you. You too. Have a great day, sir. Right.